Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 8, 22. In 8, 22, Jesus comes to Bethsaida, and this is the only miracle in which there is a progression of effect. This is the only miracle that Jesus took two steps to complete the healing. And people for thousands of years have glommed onto this and said, Aha! See, Jesus is not all-powerful, or Jesus needs two tries to do something, and this uh, one miracle People use to point at Jesus and say that he doesn't always get it right. Well, these sorts of things are blasphemy. We can ask the question, well, why is this the only two-step miracle? And the answer is because Jesus wanted it to be. Jesus does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He spit on the blind man's eyes and put his hands upon him. The process and the healing miracle here reflected again that Christ will do things his own way. Men would have him do everything the same way, but had our Lord cast all his miracles in one mold, men would have attached undue importance to the manner by which he wrought and would have superstitiously thought more of it than the divine power by which the miracle was accomplished. And I have heard sermons and I've read articles and I've read books about people who say this is how Jesus did things and this is the path that Jesus took, the ritual that Jesus took. And if you look at man-made religions and man-made uh, belief systems, the, the ritual or the words that are used or the incantation is the most important part. When it comes to Jesus, Jesus is the most important part. And when we talk about us having free will, Jesus definitely does. He can do things any way he wants. And he does do things any way he wants. And so he comes in verse 22 to a town called Bethsaida. Jesus had just had a major uh, interaction with the Pharisees. The Pharisees had demanded a sign. Jesus makes the comment about their spiritual blindness. And then Mark puts this miracle as a, as a way of showing what true sight is. True sight comes from Jesus. 
and not through any man-made philosophy or man-made system. Now, Bethsaida is a known city in the New Testament. Bethsaida, uh, some would say, was very anti-Christ or anti-Christian. Jesus would come and early in his ministry would do miracles there and they would love the miracles but really question the man and really question who Jesus was and how could he do such a thing. Now Bethsaida is in the upper right hand corner of the Sea of Galilee. You have a section of the Middle East uh, up there in the upper right-hand part, you have the Jordan coming down into the Sea of Galilee, and then the Jordan exits the Sea of Galilee and goes down to the Dead Sea. And up in the plains in the upper part, uh, which today, from my understanding, is the Golan Heights, you had somebody named Philip, who was the brother of Herod, who the Romans had put in charge of that area. The Romans would conquer an area and put a governor, as it were. Uh, Herod liked to call himself king, uh, but he was merely a governor of the, Jew, of the ethnically Jewish people. Philip was put as a governor of the towns that were on the upper right-hand side of the Sea of Galilee. He didn't have as much political interest in Jesus. Uh, Herod wanted to get rid of Jesus because he saw him as a threat to his rulership. Philip had no such designs. If you look at the difference of the two, Herod was a builder. He wanted to build lots of big things. Philip was a decorator. He wanted few very pretty things. And so the town that Philip uh, had built uh, he would uh, decorate them and put a lot of money into them. And Bethsaida was one such town. It was a very rich town. Bethsaida means city of fish. And so it was a fishing land. It was a fishing village. A lot of fish were caught in the Jordan and the Sea of Galilee. They were taken then through Bethsaida and moved throughout the land and sold it is also understood when Jesus was picking the disciples, Peter, Andrew, and Philip were from Bethsaida. And so they knew this area. Perhaps Jesus came to Bethsaida to visit their family. It doesn't say why he went there. The idea of Bethsaida being against Christ, Christ understood that. And if you look in books like Matthew 11, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Now, when Jesus or an Old Testament prophet says, Woe, that is a curse. That is saying that God is against you. That is saying you got to watch out because God is going to be doing a mighty, vengeful work here. And so he says, Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, and remember Jesus had just finished traveling through Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were large military city-states in Old Testament times. And 
they were considered ruthless. Life had no value in these sorts of places. They were vile. They were ruthless. They were they treated children and women horribly and things of this nature. They were considered evil people. And God's judgment came upon them in the form of the Greeks and the Romans. And so Jesus is saying these really evil people, if Jesus healed the blind, healed paralysis, cast out demons in these towns a long time ago, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. And you say, well, when did this happen? How could that have ever happened? Well, Nineveh was an evil, evil capital of Assyria, a vile, vile city into human sacrifices, into uh, idol worship that involved the killing of people. And Jonah, Jonah was sent. He didn't want to go. Jonah goes and he walks through the whole length of the city telling that God's going to destroy you and I want him to. God's going to destroy you and he doesn't want them to be saved because the Assyrians were bad against the Jews. And the king heard this and made it a decree that everybody, including the cows and the horses, would have sackcloth and ashes, every living thing, in Nineveh was going to repent because the king was scared of the prophecy. And then Jonah goes and watches for the fireworks to happen, and they do not. And for a period of time, Nineveh was saved. Eventually, uh, they turned against God, and God wiped out the Assyrian Empire, including Nineveh. And so... The idea that Tyre and Sidon, you know, a thousand years before Jesus would have repented is something that could have happened. And Jesus is saying this modern town, Bethsaida, that Jesus is in the middle of, don't take him seriously, don't believe in him, but these really evil people would have. He says, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And so he's saying that Tyre and Sidon, evil as they are, they will be treated more gently at the final judgment than Bethsaida because Jesus was right there. Jesus was in the midst. They said, hey, cool miracles, but you have nothing to do with God. And so how does this miracle work? It says in 22, And they came, the disciples and Jesus, and some people brought to him a blind man. It is believed that this is family or friends, that these are people who are concerned about this blind man. It isn't somebody that just found him by the side of the road. It is somebody who cares that he is blind and wants him to be sighted. And so we believe it would be family or friends. We also believe that because it's difficult to get to Jesus during this time. There are large crowds. There are large crowds pressing in on him. And so these people may take several hours, the better part of the morning, to push through to get near Jesus. And they said, they blind man, they begged him to touch him. Now the first 
difficulty of this is uh, blindness was very common. As I said before, blindness was the most common symptom in Jesus' time in the desert cities that he went through. There were sand and dust everywhere, blinding sun. You worked out in the fields, there was disease, there was injury or accident, there was malnutrition. The, the Roman historians that wrote about the Roman um, Empire commented that this part of the world, where it was basically sand countries, had more blindness than the cities of Rome, for example, than the cities of Corinth, than uh, cities that were established, that had roads and that were cleaned up, that the, the minimal living conditions that Jesus was ministering in brought about a great number of people who were blind, and many of them, if not most of them, became blind as adults or became blind after being sighted for some time. And we believe this person was that way. We believe it for two reasons. First, Jesus does come across a person who was blind from birth. And the Bible makes it clear, says it over and over, blind from birth. Okay, tough one here. It's a difficult miracle, different, difficult healing. It doesn't say that about this. And secondly, when he gains some of his sight back, he says they look like trees. He knew what trees were. He, he wasn't surprised by what he saw. He remembered what he had seen. And so this gives us a sense that he was probably uh, became blind by disease, accident, malnutrition, um, sand in the eyes, all this stuff that could go on that was, there was no treatment for blindness back then or you, know, you didn't get glasses or anything if you had a scratched cornea. Today we can tend to fix a scratched cornea. Back then they did not. And so people would just go blind and then they would rely on friends and family. And if there was nobody, then they would take them to a synagogue or the temple in Jerusalem and set them up to beg so that people would try to, you know, give alms and gain favor through giving to those who are poor. They also said we wanted him to touch him, Jesus to touch him. This is a difficulty that people in the Gospels seem to have with Jesus' method of healing. We want Jesus to do things the same way, so that if I do things the same way, maybe I can have the same miraculous effects of Jesus. I have heard people say that, that that is a possibility. I do not believe it is a possibility. I believe Jesus is God. I am not. That's that. I can do everything exactly the way he did, but it doesn't mean I'm going to have the same power. He has the power of God. I do not. And so they had heard stories, clearly, to bring this person. They had heard uh, about healings. They had heard about stuff that went on. And their understanding, which was incorrect, 
was that Jesus had to touch somebody to heal them. That if only Jesus would touch him, he would be healed. But if you look at all of the miracles, sometimes Jesus touched people. Sometimes people touched Jesus. Sometimes he was across town. Sometimes he was outside the house and he just said it. Sometimes he did touch people. He touched Peter's mother-in-law, for example, took her by the hand and lifted her up by touch. Uh, and so to say that Jesus always has to do this or I am going to uh, get Jesus to touch him because that is the magic thing that Jesus does is an incorrect view that they had. And we can get on that today. We can get sort of expectations or ideas about how God is going to do something, I can pray for something. And if I begin to put in my prayer the, and do it this way, or make it this way happen, then I am putting God in a box, is what some people have said. I'm telling God what to do. I am putting my expectations on God, and if I do it heavily, if I do it extensively, if I'm praying for somebody who's sick or I'm praying for some financial situation and I put my expectations on it heavily and then God answers it a totally different way outside the box, then on one hand I may miss it, on the other hand I may not like it. I need to give in my prayers God the freedom to answer my prayers any way he wants because when God does things that are best for me, God has all the information. I do not. I have little, little, little information. And so I have little information, so I'm guessing as to what's best for me. But God knows what is absolutely best for me. And so this isn't... I wouldn't call this sinful or some way to condemn them, but they have put together an expectation in their mind that Jesus must touch when in fact that is not required. Jesus can heal from great distances, but they say he needs to touch. And so what is the miracle? Well, first he takes the blind man by the hand. He's touching him and he's not healed yet. He takes him by the hand and leads him out of the village. We've already talked about what's the difference between a city and a village. A city has a wall around it. A village does not. Bethsaida was a very large fishing village. Thousands of people lived there, but it was not military. It didn't have a wall around it. And so it's a village, and Jesus leads him out of the village into the wilderness, and this may have taken some time. Remember, large crowds are following Jesus. And so he takes him, and him and the disciples go off by themselves, and probably the disciples uh, played some sort of interference or told people not to follow, or for some reason, they get alone. So it's only Jesus, the blind man, and the disciples out away from the crowds. And then Jesus uh, puts saliva on his eyes. And we go, ooh, but back then it was, hold it for some reason. 
uh, for some reason, they did, you know, didn't want him to uh, be alone, but he took him alone. He took him out of Bethsaida. And so, in, in, so he takes the blind man out of the city, and he puts saliva on his eyes, and we say, eh, that's no good. But back then, saliva was considered medicinal. And so the person who could see nothing felt moisture on his eyelids, and he probably had a sense that, ooh, somebody's doing something. I need to prepare for something. And so he touches his eyes, and he says, do you see anything? And he says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So he had vision but it was out of focus, okay? It was, um, he saw sticks, you know, people, tall things, and he knew what trees were, but he couldn't see faces, probably couldn't see hair color. He probably couldn't see things because it was out of focus. It wasn't clear. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes, and he opened his eyes, and sight was restored, so this is why another reason why we think he had vision, lost it. He now has sight, was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He saw everything, we would say, 2020. Now, Jesus, in the Bible, only heals the symptoms. He never discusses, never uh, presents the root cause. We don't know why this person was blind. But whatever the root cause, whether it was injury or disease, Jesus heals that, and that causes the blindness to be restored. So he heals the sickness and the eyes. He heals the injury and the eyes. Jesus' healing is always complete. It's always full, even though we would look at it and say, well, why was this person blind? that is inconsequential if it is a deep-seated thing, if it is some sort of you know, long-term malnutrition that caused this person to be blind, Jesus fixed that and fixed the internal organs and the digestive system and brought in the vitamins and the minerals into the person and fixed the eyes. So... Even though we would say, this is amazing, we wouldn't call healing a blind man a simple miracle, Jesus' miracles always are much deeper than the Bible says. And one reason is the people who wrote the Bible 2,000 years ago really had no idea what a root cause was. They, they focused on symptoms. And so Jesus heals the symptoms but also the root causes. And then he says, he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And it could even be said, do not enter any village is kind of how that is put together. And so what is Jesus doing? You had Bethsaida, and Bethsaida had problems. They, they really liked the miracles. They thought the miracles were neato, but they didn't think Jesus had any anointing of God. He wasn't the Christ. He didn't have the Spirit of God in him. He wasn't definitely not God incarnate. And so they wanted to 
uh, as the people said when Jesus fed the 5,000, they wanted to make him king. They wanted to put him in charge so that they could get free food for the rest of their lives. And so Jesus knows why he is on earth. Jesus is on earth. He has to die on a cross to be punished for the sins of the world. He has to be on a cross in Jerusalem, right outside of Jerusalem, to have the sacrifice work according to God's plan. Jesus couldn't have said, okay, I'll be king, and marched into Rome, banished the Caesar, and became world emperor, giving everybody free loaves and fishes for the rest of their lives. He, that would not give us any solution for our sin. And so Jesus understands what Bethsaida is. And he knows that if this person is allowed to go into Bethsaida and say, I can see, I can see, and Jesus is over here, that they would, by mob, perhaps captured him and made him king. He knows that his fame is getting so out of hand by the people of this part of the world that he has to keep the healings secret so that he can make it to Jerusalem and can make it onto the cross. And so throughout the Gospels, you have people who believe the truth about Jesus and they're bringing other people who need Jesus. They bring blind people they bring dead people. They lower the par uh, paralyzed guy down from the ceiling. People who, I, I know what Jesus can do. I have this friend who's in need, and I'm going to bring this friend to Jesus. That is, throughout the New Testament, is that there are all sorts of people who are spiritually blind, and we know them, and it is our job to take them by the hand and lead them to Jesus. And secondly, we have to understand that God's always going to do things His way. God doesn't ask permission. God doesn't ask for instruction. God doesn't ask for a script from us. He knows what we're going to pray. He accepts the prayers we give. And He's going to answer them His way, to His glory. Jesus, ha God has two motivations when we pray. First is His glory above all. God will glorify Himself. Secondly is our sanctification, our holiness. God wants us to be holy like He is holy. Jesus said, be holy like I am holy. We are to be holy. And so as God interacts with us, as God answers prayers, His answers will always have these two aspects, and it is, a, it is something that the average person doesn't think about, I guess, when we pray. We just want things fixed now. But God is more big picture than we are, and He will always answer for His glory and our holiness. And so we can pray for that. We can pray, and Lord, as you answer this, be glorified and make me holy, and have that in our mind. And through this, 
we can understand that God is going to do whatever he wants. And that is what Jesus did as he did this rather strange miracle on his way to Jerusalem. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for this teaching. We thank you for the understanding that you are a free will. You are a free agent. And you will always interact with us and answer our prayers to your glory and for our holiness. Lord, we praise you for that. And we ask your blessing on the meal that follows and the remainder. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.